Will central bankers be behind the curve once again and launch another gold bull market? Find out in this video. Hello, my name is Nick Hubble. I'm the editor of Fortune and Freedom and Goldstock Fortunes. And I'm joined today by John Butler, the author of The Golden Revolution. And we're going to discuss the idea that central bankers might be behind the curve once again, a rhyme in history that has tended to cause a gold bull market. John, why don't you take it away by explaining what we mean with that phrase, behind the curve? Indeed, uh, we've seen this so many times now, but it is an important topic and one that we need to kind of relearn the lessons of history. Central banks, look, it's their job to try and maintain a certain degree of stability in their financial systems. Now, they claim their primary job is to keep inflation low and stable, but the fact is they only have so much control over that in practice and really when central banks get aggressive, it's when the, the financial system is in trouble, as of course it's been in trouble off and on for over a decade now. And so they're willing to allow policy to remain extra loose and willing to allow money supply to grow extra, you know, faster than normal and so on and so forth. And of course, risk uh, inflation rising very substantially if they believe that's the insurance they need to maintain stability in the financial system and avoid, of course, something along the lines of 2008. So we're probably seeing that again now. And indeed, multiple central banks are almost, they're almost telling us explicitly that they want inflation to run hot. They don't say why. They don't say it's because their financial systems are unstable, but that's probably the main reason. So this idea of them being behind the curve suggests that if inflation does start to move, that they won't keep up with their interest rate hikes, that they will fall behind this curve of, of rising inflation over time. And historically, that has been a good period for gold. And like you say, it's happened many times. So let's connect for a moment the idea of behind the curve and the gold price. Sure, absolutely. I mean, as we know, gold is an excellent long-term inflation hedge. Uh, obviously, like anything else, it's volatile, although gold is substantially less volatile than many other uh, inflation hedges out there. And certainly over the longer term, it's arguably by far the best inflation hedge there is. But yes, when you get into a situation such as this one, where it is a matter of deliberate central bank policy, not accidental by any means, they're very clear on this point, they deliberately want inflation to run a bit hot. They don't say why, but we think we know why, which is they're trying to help their financial system to deleverage, which it still has not properly done post-2008. Other factors equal if the rate of inflation is running above the rate of on, on reserves, that is the rate at which banks effectively finance themselves through the central bank, then of course that's effectively a subsidy going directly into the financial system. Again, they won't call it that, but effectively that's what it is. It's the financial system siphoning off the wealth of the real economy facilitated by the central bank. I mean, they're the ones priming the hose for the siphon process, for those who understand how a siphon works. One of the ways to understand this is that if central banks do start to raise interest rates to try and rein in inflation, that's not necessarily tightening monetary policy. That sounds like a strange thing to say. Of course, hiking interest rates is tightening monetary policy. It's self-evident. 
Not so if inflation is rising faster than interest rates, then tightening monetary policy is not necessarily tightening monetary policy. Is that a good way of summing up the idea behind the curve? Uh, absolutely. When, when we talk about the inflation curve or the interest rate curve, you really do need to adjust these things and put them, you know, you, you have to compare apples and apples, right? And so you really need to look at interest rates in real terms. You need to look at inflation adjusted interest rates, as it were. And you can look at it either as past realized inflation, say a year on year rate, or market implied inflation expectations. The latter, however, are possibly problematic because of central banks being so active in the interest rate and bond markets nowadays. There's not good price discovery as you move out the yield curve. And so you have to be careful what longer dated bonds and the implied in, uh, inflation expectations therein. You have to be careful what they're telling you. It could be a distorted, perhaps heavily distorted signal. And so going with actual realized inflation is probably a slightly more reliable indicator of where things are at. And yes, as you say, central banks may begin to raise rates already this year. After all, inflation has surged in recent months. But if they're only raising rates uh, as sort of a sort of keeping up, not really keeping up, drifting behind the curve, then if anything, policy can be getting easier as rates go up. Inflation pressures can continue to build as rates go up. And of course, that's strongly positive for the gold price if you look through the day-to-day -day volatility and noise. Let's look at some historical periods, uh, two that come to mind, which also coincide with gold bull markets, is the, the early 2000s, so after the tech bubble burst and the housing bubble started to build, and also the 70s. Those are two examples when the central bankers were very much behind the curve. So take your pick which one you sort of want to give us a narrative of and explain what happened. Well, let's, let's start at the beginning because the beginning is actually quite interesting. Most people would not place the beginning of the 1970s stagflation already in the mid-1960s. But in fact, when you step back and look carefully at the data, and even when you read the transcript minutes of Federal Reserve meetings from the mid-60s, they're already concerned that money supply growth is running hot already in the mid-60s. And it's also in the mid-60s when French President Charles de Gaulle starts to voice his concerns that the US is running too loose a monetary policy to credibly maintain the dollar's gold backing under Bretton Woods. So already in the mid-60s, people were getting concerned. One of the most famous economics commentators of the time, uh, Henry Hazlitt, who wrote for Time and Newsweek and the New York Times, among other publications, he was ranting on about inflation pressures building already in the mid-60s. Now, of course, as we know, the pressures may have built, but the dam didn't break until Nixon closed the gold window in the early 1970s as a temporary measure, as we know, right? But that really unleashed the torrent. The whole world knew the game was up. Everyone then saw the money supply numbers for what they were. They realized, of course, that they were getting paid in devaluing dollars and they raised prices in response. That's what OPEC did with oil prices. That's what other international vendors did with their exports to the United States. And it was only, of course, in the late 1970s that the United States under President Jimmy, Jimmy Carter decided enough was enough. Inflation was out of control. The dollar had lost credibility. Something severe had to be done to restore it. Paul Volcker is appointed to the Fed. He raises short-term interest rates to over 20%, 
roughly double, not quite double, but roughly double the rate of realized inflation at the time. Double, 20%. Now that's tight policy, and it worked. Yeah, and before that tight policy came that period of central bankers being very much behind the curve where they gave in to the sorts of pressure that central bankers are giving into now, incidentally, where uh, they wouldn't raise interest rates despite all these inflationary signals in the money supply because Congress and uh, the unions and so on and so forth had a lot of political power at the time, especially the president now who appointed the central bankers. Uh, so they were behind the curve because of that political pressure. And like I said, that's very familiar. Let's turn to the, the early 2000s. And the housing bubble is very famous, but gold actually had a big bull market then too. And the narrative is, is similar in terms of the economics, but not so much the politics. So let's focus on the idea of the housing bubble being inflated because the central bank was behind the curve. Right. Well, as you recall, you had the tech bubble in the 1990s. I mean, notwithstanding all these wonderful new technologies, many of which were related to the internet, notwithstanding all of that, adding tremendous value to the economy, nevertheless, you had a situation where you know, valuations ran away with reality and there was a big crash in uh, 2000, 2001. And the Greenspan Fed felt that that stock market crash was severe enough to threaten the health of the financial system. And so they slashed rates. And indeed, people began to speculate that rates might get as low as 1%. They never got quite that low, but they got extremely low by 2003. However, at that time, it seemed that the financial system had stabilized, but inflation was also very low. Now, it was low for certain exogenous reasons, such as cheap imports from China coming online in scale for the first time in well, forever. Um, and so Greenspan said, okay, we can keep rates low for a sustained period of time uh, because there's no inflation to worry about. And sure enough, guess what happens? All that liquidity associated with ultra low interest rates, notwithstanding low consumer price inflation, all that liquidity flows into the housing market and certain other forms of speculation, including high yield debt, et cetera, et cetera. It builds up, it builds up, it builds up. And what's interesting, the gold market, the gold market is arguably one of the first to smell trouble. Gold gets into a proper bull market by 2002. It had kind of been creeping out of a bear market before that, but gold started going up versus all currencies, all fiat currencies, not just the dollar by 2002. So gold is rising versus everything. And when gold rises versus everything, clearly people are getting worried that inflation pressures are building. Now they were building slowly and in the background, but the gold market, as I sometimes say, mixing metaphors, gold's kind of like a canary in the coal mine. Before the coal miners smell that the, the, the fire damp might, might blow up and cause a cave-in or whatever, um, the, canaries, no, the canary dies. And so gold was in that bull market already. And indeed by 2006, when you only then had the initial signs of a creaking housing market in the US, that of course build strongly in 2007, gold had already risen very dramatically in price. The idea that central bankers caused the housing bubble is sort of obvious to, to many people and, and yet it don't, I don't think it's become the conventional wisdom. So I think that's a really important point to grasp. Let's turn to what happens next though. So I think most people will understand the idea that if you hold interest rates too low for too long, you create a housing bubble or a tech bubble or, or you know, some sort of bubble somewhere because you're you know, encouraging people to borrow and spend. And so that you know, causes trouble eventually. I think it's also fairly easy to understand the idea that 
if, if inflation is rising faster than monetary policy is tightening, it's not really tightening. But let's move on to something a little bit more complicated. And that is why there has to be a bust after you have this behind the curve period, why things go wrong. And I'm referring to the Austrian economics idea that we've discussed a few times, but let's sort of briefly summarize it. The idea of misallocations of capital and malinvestments. Okay, there are there are two categories of misallocation associated with uh, artificially easy monetary policy. The first is a time misallocation. That is, as you've just explained, in response to ultra-low interest rates, artificially low interest rates. As a general rule, households bring a certain amount of consumption forward in time. That is, they save a bit less, they consume a bit more, bringing that consumption forward. But what they might have consumed you know, 10 years down the road, they're consuming today. But also at the same time, businesses naturally respond to that shift and they then reallocate their own investment, their own resources, their own inventory management to try and do what they can to still run their businesses as efficiently as possible and invest in those areas they think will see the fastest sustainable growth. But because of artificially low rates, because of the time shift, businesses actually get a lot wrong and they end up misallocating resources and they don't realize that so, some of those trends are not sustainable um, and they try to capitalize on them nevertheless. And so they overinvest in you know, some, some form of plant, property, equipment, you name it. So you have these two types of, 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 resource, of resource misallocations that are nevertheless related. The problem is because of those misallocations, you're not building out the capital stock in the natural way you otherwise would to best service future needs and wants. And so you reach a point in time where your potential growth rate is simply lower than it would otherwise be. And so for any given you know, level of interest rates, any given level of inflation or whatever, you're squeezing out relatively less real growth. And so sadly, the chickens really do come home to roost in this case, because if in the meantime, eventually inflation starts to run hot and the central bank begins to raise rates to, to contain it, not only do they have to raise rates to contain it, but the real economy, which has misallocated its resources, has to now face higher interest rates. It's lose-lose. And you end up with a stagflationary type situation, which, of course, was the result of Paul Volcker allowing interest rates to rise over 20% in the early 1980s. The poster child of these misallocations of capital is, of course, all the empty housing in places like Ireland and Spain. I mean, these places no one is ever going to live to, but move to, but because of the central bank encouragement of such developments, with higher low interest rates, especially in the investor fuel, a demand of that fuel, you ended up with these empty, empty developments in the middle of nowhere. Let's move on to a prediction, whether the next few years, it's all sounding very familiar once we've talked about the early 2000s and 60s and 70s, is, is all this going to repeat again? And will there be another gold bull market as central bankers are behind the curve once again? Well, as, as Mark Twain, well, it's attributed to Mark Twain. I'm not sure he was the first to say it, but you know, history rhymes rather than repeats. And so, yes, I mean, I think if, you're, if you generalize, uh, we are indeed going through something that's going to rhyme very clearly uh, with the stagflationary 70s, early 80s, and which may also contain a financial crisis not dissimilar from 2008. It, it could be we get all these things at the same time. It's possible. The fact is, is that central bankers are, they're kind of following the script that in a way they have to follow. And, and, and I, I mean, I don't mean to absolve them of any guilt, but it's interesting when you actually interview former 
central bankers, prominent central bankers, it's amazing how much they're willing to admit that their hands are tied in certain situations. Even the legendary William McChesney Martin, who was chairman of the Federal Reserve during the 1960s, um, even he admitted after he retired, he said, uh, he, he said the following, the Federal Reserve is an independent agency, but not independent of the government. And what he was saying is, the Fed has its own internal decision-making and financial regulatory processes, but it still answers to the government. He was very open about that. Milton Friedman said very clearly that while he thought it was important to have an independent central bank, he was well aware that if fiscal policy ever came into uh, a conflict with monetary policy, fiscal policy would win. It, it, that's just the way the world works. And so we're going down this road again where you still have all this debt and leverage in the system. Central bankers want to keep the party going because the, you know, the consequences of not doing so are so severe. No one wants the next bust to occur on their watch. So everyone tiptoes around and only tightens policy behind the curve. Uh, and yet, sadly, what that means is in the background, all the while, the imbalances are growing and the unseen debt leverage bombs in the system are, are you know, becoming ever more powerful. More powder kegs are being stacked together. Uh, the fuse might be long, but the, you know, but, but the, explosion, the explosives are there. And this is what we're building up to. And uh, who knows who it's going to be apologizing next time around. It might be Fed Chairman Powell. Uh, it might be Christine Lagarde. Who knows who it's going to be? But we have been down this road before. How much of an interest rate hike would it take for the next bubble to pop, given how much debt is now on the books? It seems like there was a massive panic at the mere prospect of interest rate hikes in 2022 or 2023 as a result of a recent Fed minutes meeting. Or meeting minutes. So it seems like there's so much debt this time around that we won't even get to, you know, a few percentage uh, in, uh, points of increase, no. and there will already be this bubble popping in this crisis. I, I think we've kind of passed the event horizon here. That is, real interest rates, interest rates adjusted for inflation, I don't think they can go positive at all without blowing this up. I, 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 there's, 2008 really was a signpost in that regard. Um, and it, it was in 2008 when indeed, for a, a brief period, and I stress brief, short-term dollar interest rates actually kind of got to the level of realized inflation. Um, and then it all blew up. And, and, and to me, uh, the way I look at things, there's just as much debt and leverage, actually more, in the system today. It's hidden. It's obscure. It's in all kinds of structured products that, that you know, regulators struggle to even understand. Uh, the BIS uh, the Bank for International Settlements struggles to understand. Um, they've tried to address these in the Basel III regulations that are now being rolled out. But as we know, regulators are perpetually, chronically behind the curve when it comes to innovation. And, and so that, you know, that's where we are. I, I don't think we're going to see positive real interest rates again without triggering some sort of financial crisis. That's a great point to finish on. John Butler, thanks very much for joining us. And I hope you enjoyed this at home too.